Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all of them, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, founder of Bare Bones Yoga, and this is episode 130. Can't believe that we've made it. I've made it to 130 episodes. I'm super proud of myself, and I want to thank anyone that's listening to this right now, whether this is your first time listening to my podcast or maybe multiple times, I want to thank you for whatever inspired you to tune in to listen to this week's episode. So for those of you who watched last week and watched it via YouTube, if you're watching this one via YouTube, you heard that I decided last week to not only put out the audio version on Podbean and iTunes, but also to put out this video version on YouTube. I already have a YouTube channel. I already was posting the podcast episodes on YouTube, but I was just posting the video, uh, the audio. And I thought, why not post it as a video? And if you're looking for an alternative to crappy television, or you're just in a place where you want to do a little continuing ed, growing as a teacher, and you'd rather make it more active than just listening, you can watch it. 
So if you're here, um, thank you for watching via YouTube. And I also want to say as a podcast creator, one of the things that I find really frustrating is that I think it's really, I find that it's really cumbersome for me as a podcast listener to leave comments on someone's podcast when I really like the episode. What I typically do is I go search for them, the host on Instagram, and I send them a direct message or I comment in their feed, especially if they have a post about the episode that they put out that week. But here in YouTube, it's super easy to leave a comment because you're logged into your YouTube channel or your YouTube account. You're watching this. So if you want to leave a comment, you can just leave a comment. And that is a great way for me to find out what kinds of questions you have, respond back to you, find out more about what other topics you'd like to know about. So I just find the YouTube format to be great for many different reasons. Now, having said that, I love walking around and driving in my car while listening to podcasts. So, you know, you've got that as an option too. So I do have notes for those of you that are watching um, uh, the video part. You can see I'm holding notes. I certainly am, you know, trying to keep an order to how I present these, uh, these podcast episodes. However, a lot of it, as you can tell, if you're now watching, is really just extemporaneous conversation, one way, be it be that as it may, um, that I have. But I do always write just a brief outline. So I have a sense of what do I want to accomplish? What do I want to share? And what's the order in which I want to present it? So I'm recording this one uh, on what is today? 517, May 17, 2021. I can't believe I needed to look up my notes for that. <laughs> and I also want to just give a big disclaimer. I'm recording this in my house and the dog is downstairs in the crate and let's pray that he does not start barking. Uh, that is really one of my big prayers. So not only is there 130 episodes, this is the 130th, as I said before, but my podcast has, at, has had over 43,000 43, downloads, which I just got notified about from the podcast platform, Podbean. So I'm super excited about that. And I wanted to give a special shout out to two teachers who um, added comments, speaking of YouTube comments, added comments to last week's episode. So I want to give a shout out to Bernie and Linda. Um, funny story, Linda is the sister of a really dear friend of mine who owns the coffee shop where I used to live here in the Boston area and where I actually wrote my first book on yoga teaching. And she actually uh, hosted the book release party in her coffee shop. Uh, the coffee shop is Zoomies. It's in Charlestown. If you live in Boston, you definitely have to go to Charlestown and go to Zoomies. Their food is amazing. And Linda is her sister. So that's kind of a fun connection. Point being, I wanted to thank Linda and Bernie for leaving comments on last week's YouTube video. And I also want to give a special shout out to a new connection that I made via the podcast. I'm not going to give her last name out because I didn't tell her I was going to mention her on the podcast, but she'll know if she's listening that this is her. Her name is Alyssa, A-L-I-S-A, and she sent me a DM on Instagram and she said she went to the lake last week with her kids and um, she listened to my one of my podcast episodes. And I just thought that visual was great. I think she even made some comment about, you know, being super busy as a mom and just 
the theme was that she was just so grateful to have some time to listen to the podcast. So Alyssa, if you are listening right now, I want to give you a special shout out. Hello from me. And thank you so much for not only listening to the episode, but sending me a note and letting me know that you did and what you had to kind of engineer in terms of your schedule in order to have time to listen. I really, really appreciate it. So as I said, I'm recording this on May 17th, 2021. And um, I also want to say I was blown away last week. I talked about how to build a yoga sequence and really a lot of the logic that I share with teachers around building sequences. And what supported that conversation is a download I have, which walks you through all the steps that I covered in that episode. So if you missed last week's episode, go back and listen to it. And what I was amazed to see is how many people downloaded the download, the sequence building template, as a result of listening to last week's podcast episode on that topic. So if you missed that episode, don't worry about it. You can listen to it when you have a moment, but you can get that download right now. All you need to do is visit my website, which is barebonesyoga.com, and the download is right there on the homepage, how to build a yoga sequence. So thank you to those of you out there who downloaded that sequence building template. Um, Thank you for taking that step. Uh, It's an actionable, really clear step to enhance your teaching. And as you saw, once you downloaded that template, in order for me to get it to you, I need your email so I can send it to you via email. And so I really cherish uh, having your email on my VIP list. And you probably are going through an introductory sequence that I send out to anyone that's new to my VIP mailing list. And so I hope you're enjoying that sequence that you're getting. And at any point, since we're connected now offline, meaning not on social media, we're connected via email, feel free to send me any questions that you have. I cherish my VIP mailing list much more than followers on social media, because you never know what kind of connection you have with the people connected to you on social media. But I know for me, if I'm on someone's email list, you can be damn sure that I want to be on their email list. Otherwise, I unsubscribe. So again, if you right now get emails from me, I assume it's because you want to and you find that my information is of value to you in some way. If it's not, then definitely don't be on my email list. However, if you want to learn more about anatomy and how to apply it to your teaching via the cues and the sequences you build, talking about sequences, and the conversations you have with your students, being connected to my uh, content via my email list is the best way to do it. Because let's face it, the chances of you seeing my posts on social media are slim to none. And the best way to stay in touch and to be on top of things is to be connected via email. And I do not take that lightly. So again, thank you in advance for being connected. So um, what I wanted to talk about today, really two things. You know, I always get questions from teachers about anatomy-based cueing. And, you know, there are endless examples we can go through so that we can demonstrate that we understand the anatomy and how to share it. And, you know, here in this, you know, if you're watching this in the video portion of my podcast, you know, there's only so much I can do. It's a little different 
than when I actually make a YouTube video because I set the camera up differently. You can see me if I'm laying on the mat, on my back or on my belly, whatever it is. Here, because of the audio being the primary mode of the podcast, I'm really kind of limited to just standing poses. However, what I would say is um, this does give us an opportunity because I have the skeleton here, if you are watching it, and even if you're listening to a certain extent, to get into some of the cueing and the anatomy reasons, rationale behind the cues. This is a huge thing um, in terms of what's part of my teaching method, because I really truly believe that there's you know, almost too much sharing of anatomy information and not enough helping teachers understand how to even apply a small slice of it to their teaching. And let's face it, that is how you're going to make your impact known based on anatomy that you've learned. Even if you're not saying the anatomy-based cue, the fact that you know it is going to infuse the cues you give and how you alter things based upon what you see. If you don't know the anatomy and you're just repeating things that somebody told you to say, there's no integrity there. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm not trying to shame anybody. There's just, you know, you have to kind of give, I think to be an integrity, give a cue that you know the why behind. And I always say to teachers, focus on action cues first while you're learning anatomy and then start to move forward and share anatomy-based cues. So today, what I'm gonna do is just go over a couple of postures and we can talk a little bit about the anatomy-based cues that might go with these poses. And this will just be like a small snippet of anatomy learning that will be part of this week's episode. So I thought for the first one, what I would do is I would take a look at dancer's pose. So, you know, you can obviously, if you're watching this, you can see me as I reach back and grab my right foot. And, you know, the, the main place to start whenever we're looking at a posture is thinking about identifying what joint actions are involved because it doesn't make sense to jump to the muscles that are doing things until we can identify what the joint actions are. And sorry to say, friends, this is, you know, oftentimes where teachers get tripped up in that they don't know the joint actions. And if you don't know the joint actions, you need to go back to the starting gate and learn joint actions as a topic under the broad umbrella of anatomy before you should be anywhere near sharing anatomy-based cues. You know, an example of that that I like to give, I don't like to give it, but I give it because it's an example, is using a cue like contract your core with upward dog. That makes no sense. There is really no core contraction in upward dog. So that's a perfect example of just saying something that refers to anatomy because why? You want to sound smart, you want to talk about muscles, you want to try to be helpful, I don't know. But it really is most likely coming from someone who doesn't understand joint actions or other aspects of anatomy because it's a mismatch. When we come into upward dog, we're extending our spine. So the muscles that are contracting are back here. <laughs> the muscles that are lengthening are here. 
And if you think about the primary muscle that would be lengthening, it's the one that goes up the middle that stretches as you extend your spine, rectus abdominis. So again, this is just an example. And I do, please, please, please hear me here. I do not mean to shame anyone, to use a popular term um, or call out anyone, but I am sort of trying to, if you're out there listening, and you're kind of in this mode of just saying, just saying, just saying, filling the space, not giving silence, feeling like you need to say this thing or that thing or this word about muscles or refer to that muscle. And in your heart of hearts and in your gut, you know that you don't really know the anatomy behind it. Don't say it. Don't say it. And, you know, recently I've started to refer to this idea of you know, there's no one out there that's monitoring what's being said in yoga classes, right? I mean, thank God for that. That's an awful idea. However, what it means is all of us as teachers have to be in integrity in terms of what we're doing, right? So if you're unfamiliar with hip and knee anatomy, don't teach double lotus, right? Because, yo, you're going to need a lot of mobility in the hip and the knee to do that. Just teach tree, so easy, such an easy regression that still gives people more than enough to do because, hey, you're still balancing. It doesn't matter if I'm adding the advanced variation, which is going to require, what is it gonna require? A lot of external rotation at the hip, which people may not have either because the external rotators are weak or the internal rotators are tight or both. So again, you know, I am, you know, my kind of soapbox in a way is to really try, you know, if you're feeling, I don't want to say stuck, but if you're in this pattern, you know, a perfect example, I'll just give you a, a kind of a related example. I just recently had to re-up my certification as a personal trainer. Now, I'm not going to work as a personal trainer, but I've had that certification since 2017 because I love anatomy. And because the NASM process to be certified requires that you study, you take an online exam, and then you take a test in person with a proctor and all your personal belongings aside in a locked bag which basically means you're proving you know your stuff before you get certified. There isn't that process in yoga. So as a result, teachers are out there. They've learned whatever they've learned in their 200-hour training, and yet they're saying cues that are anatomy-based without really knowing if they know it. Now, maybe in your 200-hour training, you had a fantastic anatomy session. Maybe you had a test that you had to take administered within that training program. I'm not disparaging anybody's training. All I'm saying is there is really very little oversight or looking into or knowledge that anybody has about anything that's being said in any yoga class taught anywhere around the world. So guess who has to be responsible? You. <laughs> you need to own what you say, how you say it, what you do for improving your education. All of it is on you. Now, you know, does that mean you're going to take it seriously? I don't know. All I'm saying is I hope you will. And I hope that knowledge of that doesn't scare you, but instead motivates you to ask good questions about 
What can I do to increase my knowledge? What can I do to decrease those feelings of anxiety that come up when I teach? What can I do to increase my confidence as a teacher? What can I do to help my students more? What can I do to be more in integrity when I'm teaching? What does it mean to me to be in integrity when I'm teaching, right? So all of these are really good questions to ask. Shitty questions to ask are things like anatomy is really hard. What, what other thing can I do to, to get around that? Or I don't even really want to focus on anatomy, so it doesn't really matter. Like those are all not really helpful things to say to yourself. Um, instead, much more functional, much more in sync with universal principles of abundance and growth to ask some of the questions that I just said. So I got a little off track. However, I think that was a really important off track path because it allowed us to start to think about some of these things um, that are topical and I think highly relevant for yoga teachers. So again, this is the kind of stuff, leave a comment, let me know what you think. So back to our review of dancer's pose. So we're going to look at dancer's pose. So here I am again, if you're watching the visual here. So I've got, you know, a scenario where I'm grabbing the inner edge of my right foot. I have my left arm up in the air. So what is happening there from a joint? Remember we said first thing is joint actions. So as I look here at my right hip, right, my right hip is moving into extension and my right knee is in flexion. My right shoulder is an external rotation and extension. Additionally, my left arm, which is reaching to the sky, that shoulder is in flexion. And my spine, as I progress into the pose, is also in extension. So let's just briefly look at what some of the muscles are that are doing things in this posture to facilitate me doing it. So let's take a look at the hips. So as I bend my right knee and reach back for the inner edge of my right foot and I kick back, I'm moving, as I said, I'm moving the hip into extension. So the main muscle of hip extension is the gluteus maximus. So I could say, as people come into this posture, uh, grab your right foot, kick back with your foot into your hand and see if you can squeeze a little bit around the back of your right hip. That's going to activate or contract your gluteus maximus, which is creating that action for you. Now, another good muscle, two muscles that you can refer to are the external rotators of the shoulder. I've talked about these a lot. So major external rotators of the shoulder are teres minor and infraspinatus, and they connect the scapula to the humerus. So as I roll my shoulder open, it is a function of these muscles back here in the posterior chain, creating that external rotation. So it probably would be a little bit much to verbalize the names of those muscles, and they're not generally known by your students, most likely. However, what you could say is, reach back, grab your foot, notice if you feel some stretch across the front of your chest as you press your foot back and come into the posture. That's a lengthening of muscles in the front and a strengthening of your shoulder of muscles in the back. Because let's face it, as teres minor and infraspinatus concentrically contract to create external rotation, something's got to give on this side. Pectoralis minor and major and subscapularis, they've got to give in a little bit. That's the pairing that happens. So that gives you some cues, that gives you muscles and joints involved in that posture. 
That is what I want you to be able to do for any pose you're teaching, even if you're not going to verbalize. In my opinion, you should be able to look at all the main postures and break them down. I do this in my, in my signature program, the Blueprint Learning Program. Break them down by those criteria I just laid out for you. And keep in mind, as I said earlier, if you are learning anatomy, you're in that process, you're going to use action cues. So forget everything I just said. Pretend I'm a newer teacher on learning anatomy. I can still teach an awesome dancer's pose by focusing on the actions I want people to do. Take your right arm back, turn your palm open, grab the inner edge of your right foot. Begin to kick back into your hand as you lean forward and lift your left arm to the sky. Right? I didn't have to know anything about joint actions there, say anything that was kind of off base because I really didn't know it. I didn't have to try to fill the space talking about muscles doing things, knowing in my head and my heart and my gut that I really don't know what I'm talking about, but I just find it necessary to throw that stuff out there. None of that needed to happen. I'm purely in integrity. I'm giving students what they probably want anyway, which is just tell me what to do to get into the pose. Okay, so the next one is trig. So let's take a look, right? I'm standing here in this kind of pseudo tree. You can have your arms up in the air, uh, lots of different hand variations. So let's focus specifically on the hips. So as I stand here with my right foot on my leg, my right hip is in flexion and external rotation, flexion and external rotation. So if you think about the external rotators, where do you think they would be, right? So if I'm taking my hip and I'm opening it up, where would the muscles be that would need to be concentrically contracting in order to do that action? Well, if you sit on the back of the body, you'd be correct. So generally speaking, back here on the back of the pelvis, you've got a series of muscles that create external rotation. There's different acronyms that people use to memorize them. I think one of the ones that I learned was GOGO-Q. So it's two gamelli muscles, two obturator muscles, and quadratus femoris. And these muscles generally sit here, and as they concentrically contract, they kind of flip this side of your pelvis back, which on me, right, as a human being, not a skeleton only doing this, looks like that when you come into trade. So you could, right, you could maybe reference, you know, just something like as people come into the posture, um, you could say something like uh, open your right hip, take your right knee back. See if you feel any activity in the back of your right hip. That's where the muscles are helping you open that hip. You know, again, you're not going to go through go go cue, right? You're not going to go through that. So again, it's not that learning anatomy is so you can constantly be sharing anatomy-based cues. However, you're learning it. So even if you're not sharing it, you have a sense of what's going on and that informs even just the action-based cues you're going to give. All right, so let's do one more. Let's look at eagle pose, right? So I actually posted this on my Instagram as an image, right? So eagle pose. And what I'm going to focus specifically on here is the hips again, because as we come into eagle pose, let's look at what's happening with the hips. The hips are coming into adduction and also, believe it or not, a bit of external rotation. If you think they're internally rotating, you wouldn't want to internally rotate your hips. You actually want to open them up, similar to if you were in a squat, except you're kind of 
moving the hips in that externally rotated position while they're in a deduction. So it's a little bit tricky there, but it is the same thing with Gamukhasana, cow face pose. So if we're bringing the hips into a deduction, we're working with that main group of adductors that run on the inner line of the thigh. So we've got the adductor magnus, the adductor brevis, the uh, pectineus, right? These are all muscles that contribute to hugging the legs in close. Adductor magnus, adductor brevis, adductor longus, pectineus. And as you can imagine, they all line the inner thigh and they connect up here to the lower part of the pelvis known as the ischium. So that gives you a sense of muscles, joint actions. So now what would you say? Well, again, you're probably not gonna rattle off all those adductor muscles, but you could say something like, hug your legs together and see if you feel any contraction along the inner line of your thighs or hug your legs together. This is a great way to strengthen the muscles on the inner line of your thighs. I mean, I always like to frame anatomy cues from the perspective of what the hell is the value to the person? Right? What a great way to share anatomy with your students by giving them uh, um, the benefit to them, right? So here we're doing this pose and the benefit is X. You know, I always say to people, and in my anatomy uh, course that we talk about, what's the point of the pose? I mean, think for yourself as you're teaching and you're going through every pose in the sequence. Are you telling people the point of the pose? Because you can be damn sure that they are in some of these poses thinking, what the hell is the point of this? <laughs> and that's a perfect place for you as a teacher to begin your cueing. Once you kind of give them the action cues, do this, do this, do this, and they're in it, tell them what the benefit is. If you want to flip that or transition that to an anatomy-based cue, tell them what muscles are going to benefit from the perspective of what muscles are going to get stronger, what muscles are going to get longer. And again, only go into that area if you know your stuff. If you do not, you still have plenty you can do. You can have them, as I just said, you can walk them through the action-based cueing and um, give them the point of the post. That's a wonderful takeaway for your students to have. So now that we've gone through, I'm kind of taking on this, <laughs> this podcast episode at a record pace and I do not drink coffee. So I apologize that this is a little fast paced. Um, I wanted to kind of transition, make a little bit of a, of a transition here from talking about specific anatomy, like we're just talking about now, and shifting into a really quick discussion about self-limiting beliefs. And the reason I want to talk about this is, you know, if it was just a matter of learning all the anatomy, every yoga teacher out there would have this stuff nailed down, but they don't. And I know from all the teachers who enroll in my program, I know I have a really good idea of common themes around self-limiting beliefs that come up for teachers, whether it's specifically regarding learning anatomy or around teaching. And so I want to just kind of add that in, you know, it's important that as teachers and certainly for me as a teacher trainer, it's not helpful to you if all I'm doing through the podcast and through all my free content is constantly just like sharing, sharing content, this little thing about the hips, this, because honestly, if you're out there and you're feeling like you've got some blocks to learning anatomy or to teaching, all of this information isn't going to do boo for you until you start to get beyond 
those self-limiting beliefs. I mean, you probably know, I certainly know teachers who enroll in program after program after program, and they are not teaching. And again, these are teachers that I meet because by the time they enroll in my program, that's what they tell me. And believe me, it's not for lack of knowledge that they're not teaching. And they can tell me they have 500 hours or a thousand hours. It doesn't matter. Hours don't matter, friends. Please, let's take the focus off hours and let's put the focus on how do we feel as a teacher? What are some obstacles that are getting in the way of us teaching authentically? And from a knowledge perspective, what do we know and do we know how to apply it? And those things should not be equated to from the perspective of tracking hours. Like when people write me and they go, oh, I need to get some CEU credits. What course of yours do you have that I can buy? I'm like, well, forget about hours. What do you want to learn and why? I just actually posed that to somebody who wrote me. Actually, I think it was somebody I, the point is that's the point. Let's, I understand, I get it. You want to keep your yoga alliance registration, right? Remember it's a registration. It's not a certification. I get that. It's a need, right? However, wouldn't you rather invest your time and money in something that's going to give you information that is going to make you a better teacher rather than just checking the box of, I did these 10 hours, right? And so I, I only say that because I promise you, friends, there are not a lot of, I don't know this as a fact, but I would bet, and I, I do know it from this COVID scenario we've been in for the past year and a half, where there has been a preponderance of online trainings, where there are teachers that will not go back to you and say, what do you want to learn in an effort to make sure you're putting your money in a program that's going to give you a good return on investment. They'll just take your money, right? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I want to know you, what you want to learn, what your barriers are, what you need as a teacher, what you think you need as a teacher to help you grow and reach more people in as authentic a way as possible where teaching for you is a breeze, right? I just said at the beginning of this episode, I just have a couple of notes. All of this stuff, for the most part, is coming off the top of my head because I live and breathe this stuff. And that's what I want for you. When you walk into your studio or a studio, when you turn on your computer and teach from your Zoom, I want this stuff to just flow from you. I don't want you to be up in your head, right? I don't want you to be worried about, do I know this? Should I say this? I And believe me, that can happen. Yes, it does take some work. It also just takes working in the right areas rather than diluting your time uh, all over the place and doing a whole bunch of different things. So having said that, let me get to a couple of, um, to wrap up this week's episode, to get to a couple of these self-limiting beliefs. These are things, again, that I do hear from people regularly. So I did not just pull these out of thin air. The number, uh, number one, or not the number one thing, but one of the things I hear, which I have talked about before, is I am too old. <laughs> I am too old. I'm too old to teach. I'm worried that I'm going to be able to connect with students, that they're going to be looking for a younger teacher. I mean, friends, I'm 56. I'll be 57 this year. I mean, for the most part, I don't know, I feel 35-ish. Sometimes my body feels 85-ish, not all the time. But the point is, who cares? You know, on some level, you know, things are going to happen for you as they're going to happen. And I think, you know, as kind of woo-woo as it sounds, 
there needs to, not their needs, but wouldn't it be great if you could reframe things into the perspective of things are happening exactly when they are meant to happen. And no amount of forcing or berating yourself is going to change when they happen. Now, does it mean that you can be proactive in following a course, uh, following, I don't mean a course, like a literal online course, but setting goals and walking down that path? Yes. However, it's going to be so much easier for you to walk down that path and not be having all these alternate feelings of I'm too old, this is taking too long, or I'm, you know, the bottom line is right now, there are so many students out there who would love to take class from someone who is in their late 30s, 40s, 50s, maybe I even say 60s, right? Because number one, that style of class is going to be different, right? Let's face it, that teacher is probably not going to be teaching a hot power vinyasa, super fast class. And number two, there's so many things that people who are in their 50s and 60s and 70s can get benefit-wise from yoga. And wouldn't they like to learn that from someone who's around their age? Now, does that mean if you're like me, uh, you know, in your late 50s, you can't teach people in their 20s? Absolutely not. That has to come from you though, friends. That can't be a feeling that comes from the external. You have to know what your value is. And to a certain extent, your value, because it's in terms of sharing yoga, is agnostic to age. However, as I just said, there are going to be certain styles of yoga that are going to be focused on a niche group of people where it's probably going to be an advantage if you're closer in age to the student population that's in your niche. So I say we chuck that. We don't give that any life. If that is something that you're saying to yourself, see if you can just kind of let that go. So that's the first one. The second one is I don't have enough people following me. You know, this gets to conversations I've had with teachers around, especially right now, where we're doing so much on Zoom or some other online platforms. You know, I don't have enough social media following. I don't have enough people following me. I can tell you because I'm part of a whole business program for digital entrepreneurs, and I am in part a digital entrepreneur because my blueprint learning program is an online program versus an in-person program. I can tell you from talking to people in that group who most of whom are not in the yoga industry, that there are plenty of them that have a shit ton of followers and aren't making any money and don't really have a lot of influence and don't really have a lot to offer. It's something that eventually hopefully will come for them. But I guess what I'm saying is don't be swayed by the headcount on somebody's Instagram or somebody's Facebook. That really doesn't tell you anything. <laughs> you know, I mean, it tells you something, right? Like, Maybe on some level, yes, there is a connection being made based upon the content being shared. I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't give you the full picture. That's number one. And number two, remember, from the perspective of yoga teaching, and I'm talking teaching classes, that is um, an offering where you as the teacher are looking to connect with a student. And how many students are you really looking to connect with, right? Are you thinking, well, I'm going to have a Zoom class and I'm only going to be happy if I have 500 people on my Zoom yoga class, or I'm teaching in person and I'm only going to be happy if I have, um, I don't know, 50 people, 50 bodies in the room. You know, I guess my point is 
as a yoga teacher, part of our, our, our um, impact is in that one-to-one -one relationship. And there's so much that can be gained uh, on both our parts as teacher and, and from the student perspective, if we're dealing in smaller numbers. So it doesn't have to be that everything is always like huge following. Now, having said that, I wanna make a separate point about the business aspect of things, right? So if you are looking, and not everybody's doing this, you know, teaching yoga and my online program, you know, that is the way I support myself. So I have been in this business for, you know, a long time, and I've had a digital component to my business for many, many years. And I want that to thrive because when that thrives, I can thrive from the perspective of living and supporting myself. Um, not everyone is looking to their yoga teaching to be a way to financially support themselves. So to some extent, maybe it doesn't really matter how many people come to their classes and that kind of thing, other than maybe what it means to them from like a pride perspective. However, what I'm, what I'm saying is, if there is a need for you, an interest that you have, and again, even if there's no kind of quote unquote pressure on you financially to make a certain amount of money from the classes you teach, you may still want them to do as well as possible. And no why, headcount's gonna be part of that. However, I think what you want to do is kind of look at what are reasonable goals to set. And I don't mean, again, to dilute them. What I mean is to really start to explore what's really at cause here. Because if you're saying, I'm only going to feel good if I have X number of followers on my Instagram page and X number of people logged into my Zoom classes, let's really break down those numbers. Are those numbers you're coming up with because you have some kind of revenue goal and that's attached to a financial need that's connected to your personal budgetary situation? Or is there something else wrapped up in there that has to do with pride, that has to do with being jealous of other people, that has to do with maybe a misguided thought around what all of those numbers actually reflect? I mean, I have made really a career out of intentionally really not doing a lot of things that people do. You know, one perfect example of that is in the somewhat beginning, I used to write for quote unquote popular websites before video and podcasting was big. And I used to write a lot of content for free for these quote unquote major yoga platforms, online platforms. And it was always done out of my love for sharing the information. And I didn't get paid for it. And it was done in a way to kind of, you know, get the word out about what I loved to share, which again was anatomy. Now, you know, eventually I just kind of stopped doing that because there really was very little return on investment. I wasn't really reaching people that I was having a personal conversation with. It wasn't really important for me to say, I write for this website or I write for this yoga website. It just wasn't important. What was more important to me and what continues to be my main focus and passion and love is having teachers enroll in my blueprint learning program so that I can work with them one-on-one -on -one to help them be the best teacher possible as it relates to learning anatomy and sharing it via the cues and the sequences and the conversations you'll have with your students. Guys, once you find your niche and you just effing own it, Everything else that is not related to that will drop away. 
And it won't matter to you when you're scrolling through social media and you're seeing someone's doing a retreat somewhere. You won't care. You won't feel jealous when you look at somebody else's Instagram page and you see they've got 30,000 followers. You just won't. Honestly, I don't even really look at it because in a way it does sort of trigger me. And also I don't want to be influenced by other people's content. I always want to stay true to my presentation, what I want to share. And oftentimes what flavors that is real conversations I have with teachers. And so to me, that's such a pure way to be inspired to share information, because I know that if a teacher has shared something with me, that's a concern they're having or a question they're having. I know other teachers have that same question out there. So that's, you know, just as we wrap up this episode, that's just something I, I really want to emphasize and I want to encourage you to do. So instead of worrying about followers, just really, you know, sit in meditation and ask yourself, what kind of teacher do I want to be? What really has me super excited when it comes to teaching and sharing? And, you know, all of those kinds of questions will lead you in the right direction rather than diluting your energy off in all these different areas. So, oh my goodness, we are at the end of this episode. And if you are still listening, I want to thank you for sticking with it until the end, episode 130. And I want to just end by just mentioning one other thing. I'm just going to drop my notes here. So one of the other self-limiting beliefs that I hear, beliefs that I hear a lot from teachers is, I can't learn anatomy. I've tried before. It's way too hard. Now, I will tell you right out of the gate, if you want to dispel that myth, just enroll in my course, my program, the movement learning program. And to do that, even though it's not open for enrollment right now, you can get on the wait list via my website. However, if you're in the mode right now where you want to just do it on your own, let me at least guide you by giving you my 10 key steps to learning anatomy worksheet. And this will at least help you hone in on the things that you should be studying so that whatever self-studying efforts you're doing, at least you're not going down all these rabbit holes. At least you're focusing on the main subtopics under the big header of anatomy. So you get the most out of the time you're spending in that self-study mode. So to get this download, 10 Key Steps to Learning Anatomy, just go to my website. It's even above the bar. So as soon as you log onto the website, I don't even think you need to scroll at all to see the button to click to get that download. 10 key steps to learning anatomy. So again, thank you so, so much for uh, watching or listening. I encourage you, YouTube watchers, to leave a comment. I encourage you, anyone listening, to just send me a DM on Instagram. Let me know what you think. And remember, friends, I want your questions to be answered via the podcast. I want topics that are of interest to you to be discussed. So please, please comment with any of those kinds of things so I can address them in future episodes. So I want to wish you a wonderful week ahead, and I will see you. I will talk to you on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, 
the Blueprint Learning Program and my mentorship program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.